You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. We're in a series that I've called uh, Messed Up Messengers. And uh, we're studying the prophet Jonah, who was really a a prophet of God. He was a messenger of God. And and he had some things going on in his heart that, to be honest, were just like pretty messed up. And and we're we're seeing that that we can be just like Jonah at times. And so uh, the the vision for this series, the goal of this series, we've said is this, uh, to allow God to work on the messes that we are through the mission He has given us. We allow God to work on the messes that we are through the mission that He has given us. And that's, that's to be honest, a pretty blunt goal, right? Like to, to say that, that I can be a mess sometimes and, and that our lives can be pretty messed up because of our sin. And God wants to do a work in our hearts to root that sin out, to deal with it. And I have to admit, it can be pretty easy to say that in sort of a, a general way, like, like, like I'm a mess, and you can kind of say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, you can, you, you can say that, you know, it's kind of almost popular to say, like, I got problems, man, I, I'm a mess, like, of course, we're all, we're all messes, and, and it's easy to say that in a general way, but then to have God open up your eyes to, like, the specifics of that mess, so that we can turn from it. And then we can see Jesus. It's a, it's a beautiful reality, but it's also a very painful reality. And, and I don't know about you, but like God's been showing me some pretty specific things, some, some patterns of thinking, some, some ways of reacting to circumstances that, that in my life are, are honestly just like pretty messed up. And, and I know that's just like so surprising that, that, you know, like God would still have to work in someone who's a pastor. Can you believe it? But it's true. It's true. And, and he's been dealing with me on those things, and he's been getting after my heart. And just like Jonah, uh, he's been using the mission that he's given me as a father, as a pastor, to do those works in me. It's through the ways that he's called me to make disciples that he's showing me things that are wrong in my own heart. And so if you're like, like man, Pastor Ben, God is just working on me lately. It's sometimes really painful. It's, it's good, but it's painful, like... Like, I just want you to know, you're not alone in that. You're not the only messed up messenger. The the same work that God did in Jonah's life, He wants to do in my life, and He wants to do in your life. And at the same time, if you're like, uh, yeah, I I don't really know what you're talking about. Like, like I don't don't see any mess in my life. Like, I'm not that bad. I'm I'm a pretty good person. Uh, Or if you're like, uh, yeah, I see the mess, but there ain't no change in that mess then chances are that you don't understand the mission of God at all. You don't, you don't understand the calling of God upon your life at all. Chances are that you've not stepped out into the walk of faith that God has called you to because it's when we step out into that walk of faith that God reveals who we are and how much we need Him. God's called you to be a disciple who makes disciples. When we say the mission that He's called us to, that's the mission, right? Let's be really clear on that. He's called us to be disciples who make disciples. To walk by faith in Jesus, that's being a disciple, and then to teach others to walk by faith in Him as well. That's your mission as a parent. 
That's your mission as a neighbor. That's your mission as a coworker. That's your mission as a church member. That's your mission as a spouse. That's your mission as, as someone who's just meeting other parents who are playing at the park. You are called wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ who makes disciples of Jesus Christ. And God wants to use that mission not only to work on the people around you, but we want to see in this series that He wants to use that mission to work on you. Like, do any of you parents out there see your own need for repentance as you need to address the heart idols of your kids? You ever like come face to face with that reality? You're like, why are you yelling at your brother? Oh. Or, or did you ever see your own marriage weaknesses when somebody else is like, man, I just need some help in my marriage. Can you give me some advice? And you're like giving advice and you're like, yeah, I should probably go practice that now. If you wait until you follow Jesus perfectly to obey the mission of making disciples, you're never going to get on it. You're never going to do it. And you're going to stunt your growth as a disciple. You see, God doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up before He calls you on the mission. He, he's do, done... He does this miraculous work in your heart through calling you on the mission. And then He wants to use the repentance that He produces in you to multiply repentance in the people around you. That's what we see in, chapter, in the chapter that we're studying today. Uh, here's the big idea for this morning. Your miraculous repentance exists to multiply miraculous repentance in the people God has called you to reach. Your miraculous repentance exists to multiply miraculous repentance in the people He has called you to reach. You remember that that Jonah was a prophet of the Lord, so he he got the assignment that no prophet wants to get. Uh, God called him to preach to a violent wicked nation that was a foreign people to the people of Israel, that judgment was coming upon them soon. And uh, naturally, Jonah didn't want to go. For him, it was actually the issue that if he warned them, they would get the opportunity to repent, and he didn't really want them to see God's grace. He knew God was, was just this gracious God who would have mercy on those who repented, and he didn't think that they deserved that. And so he ran the opposite way from God. God used the mission to reveal that there was still a ton of repentance that needed to happen in Jonah's heart. And so God sent this massive storm against the ship that he had used to escape. And instead of crying out to God, instead of turning back to him, Jonah was like, you know what, just kill me. Just throw me overboard. I, I can't imagine going God's way. I, I can't imagine him ever you know, wanting me back. Like I, I, I just, just throw me in. And so the sailors did, and and the storm ceased. And, and the sailors in that moment learned to fear God. Like God saved them despite His messed up messenger. And even more, God saved Jonah despite himself. And He sent a, a, a great fish to rescue him. We saw last week in Jonah chapter 2 that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. And he cried out to the Lord. And he hoped in the God who disciplined him. And he worshipped him. The the belly of the fish became a temple of worship for Jonah. And three days later, it was time 
to come out and be restored. And so God commanded the fish, and he said, vomit him out on dry land. And so that's what happened, and that's where we pick up the story this morning. Uh, your Bibles are open to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Uh, we would love this for you to see God's word for yourself. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them. And He did not do it. Your miraculous repentance exists to multiply miraculous repentance in the people God called you to reach. Like repentance is a miracle, right? Like I'm using that word miraculous repentance. When God gets a hold of our hearts and He changes our rebellious minds to understand that He is God and we are not, that's a miracle. Like we don't come naturally to that conclusion on our own. Our flesh is warring against that reality and it's only the work of the Spirit that brings us there. It's by God's grace that we are saved through faith. Repentance is not a work for salvation, but a change of mind and heart unto salvation. But it's so important that we understand that our our repentance is not just a personal matter. Sometimes we think, like, this is just between me and God. Like, this is just, you know, my repentance only really matters when it comes to God's relationship with me. But it's not just about us. See, God uses individual repentance in a greater plan to save a whole people for Himself from every tribe and nation and language. And here in Jonah, we find one of the greatest stories of repentance of all times. This is one of the largest single-moment revivals in all of world history. Think about that. That's what we're looking at in Jonah chapter 3. One of the largest single-moment revivals in all of world history. Which means that God used the repentance of one of the most messed up, backwards-thinking prophets in the Old Testament as His tool to multiply repentance in the lives of thousands of others. If that doesn't give you hope as a disciple-making disciple, I don't know what does, right? I don't have to be perfect, but I do need to be repentant. Repentance multiplies repentance. In Jonah 3, uh, we see two parallel realities that we need to understand. And the first is this. God wants to use the miracle of your repentance. 
God wants to use the miracle of your repentance. Good Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. We'll stop there. So these verses, as you can see on the screen, are a a mirror of chapter 1. Except when Jonah goes the wrong way in verse 3, he goes God's way in verse 3 in chapter 3. See, God took him right back to the place of the original calling as proof of his restoration and repentance. I want you to notice that because I think sometimes like when we disobey God, and then we realize we're wrong, and we say we're sorry, we, we then kind of expect God to have changed His mind about the original command. Like, like, okay, I guess now that you're sorry, you don't really have to go do what I called you to do. Go ahead and do your own thing. Or, or like, I'm really glad that you're sorry, but, but I don't really want to use you because you messed up the first time, and I'm not taking that risk again. But that's not God. God took Jonah right back to the place of his original calling. And as he repeats the command, we're reminded of four elements to God's calling. First, God called him to a place. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. And you'll remember that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was 500 miles away. So this would have taken about a month to get there. So between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, we have a month, right? And he's, he's traveling a good long distance. This is across the deserts of Iraq and Syria. Or Syria and Iraq in that order. And uh, you can see that uh, on the map there. See, what God was asking him to do was not easy. Jonah had to move a good distance. He had to uproot his life. He had to sweat out this journey. And he had to go to a people who needed to hear And if we think that that God is never going to ask us to do something that's physically uncomfortable or maybe inconvenient, we are sorely mistaken. Like Maybe God's not calling you to cross deserts, but maybe He is calling you to cross the yard to talk to your neighbor. Is maybe God calling you to cross the coffee shop to talk to the barista about Jesus? Is He calling you to cross the splash pad to talk to that other mom about Jesus? Is He calling you to cross your insecurities and your introverted preferences to talk to anyone about Jesus? God moved Jonah through and to an uncomfortable place. Now in that far off place, God also called him to a people. Remember, this is still a city that is full of ruthless, idol-worshipping war criminals. They bragged about their crimes against humanity, and they, just, they thought this was the most wonderful thing in the world, that they could like skin people and, and, and parade it through the streets. One pastor friend of mine said that his, this is like you walking into the heart of Iran, doing street evangelism in a Taliban stronghold to Taliban soldiers. Got the feeling of that? These, these were the no-no people for a good religious Jew to talk to. We talked a couple weeks ago about who the no-no people and places for good religious people in Solanco might be that we are called to reach. 
Have you thought any more in the last two weeks about where you need to go and who God has put in front of you, who you wouldn't naturally want to reach? That person you're like, ah, they just don't want to hear from me. There's just too much difference there. The, the one who doesn't like you, the one who you have little in common with, who's maybe even hostile to you. Have you made any movement in those directions? See, God doesn't forget that He's called us to go and make disciples. He comes right back to that same command that makes us uncomfortable. And He's like, if we aren't getting this, we're going to come right back to it again. And we're going to come back to it again. We're going to come back to it again. And as He calls them to the same place and people, He gives them the same activity. He says, proclaim or, or call out against the city. Now in chapter 1 and chapter 3, there's a different word uh, that's used, but they mean essentially the same thing. Uh, Lift up your voice and proclaim. Now I was recently reading an article in Christianity Today by author Elliot Clark, and he was challenging the way that we normally describe evangelism as sharing the gospel. That sounds so nice, doesn't it? Share the gospel. I get to share the gospel. And he's like, you know what? In the Bible, the the Word of God is never called to be shared. And I, I know that I've said that a million times, share the gospel, right? So I'm not like dissing anybody who says that. But he says, in the Bible, the gospel is always called to be proclaimed and preached and declared. That, that we lift up our voice and we speak it out. Because share implies that the other person wants what I'm giving them. And so... What it also means then to us is that we kind of wait until they want it, until I give it to them. But, but no, God says proclaim. Lift up your voice and proclaim, and then it's actually the gospel message itself that then softens the hearts. That's God's tool to soften the heart. And so we kind of, we let it out there in whatever way we need to, but our job is to proclaim. That requires so much more faith, doesn't it? To proclaim a message without really knowing how it's going to be received? Or even expecting that it might be rejected? I mean, of course, unless you're Jonah, because he kind of wanted it to be rejected, but that's a sermon for next week. So with the call to proclaim, then comes the same call to a message. A message. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Call out the message that I will tell you, he says in chapter 3. We see in chapter 3, verse 4, the message that God told him was, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words in English, five words in Hebrew. Now, you're going to hear tons of commentators saying, well, there it is. It's a five-word message. They, They just, you know, like Jonah preached five words, and they were just all saved. I love those preachers. I love those commentators. I just don't think that's quite accurate. Uh, I would say that this is the big idea. This is kind of the summary, because we see that all throughout the Bible is, is a summary of the messages that were preached. And so um, this was a message of warning, and, and, and with the warning came the opportunity for grace. According to commentator James Bruckner, uh, there's actually a wordplay going on at the end uh, where the word is translated in the ESV, overthrown. So the word can mean to turn over, as in you're going to destroy, you're going to turn over all the buildings, or it can mean to turn around, to, turn, to, to overturn the heart, so uh, the idea of repentance. 
And so either way, the city in 40 days is going to be overthrown. They're either going to be wrecked in judgment or they're going to be wrecked in heart-level repentance. That's the choice really for every person who is confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to God as the only one who can save or face eternal destruction for your sin. The only difference is that we don't necessarily know if it's going to be 40 days or one day or 40 years. But the urgency is still there. And so God calls Jonah right back to the same place, the same people, the same activity, the same message that he ran from in chapter 1. Jonah had been severely messed up in his heart and God used the calling out of his life to reveal that. He took him through some pretty dark waters and then he worked on Jonah's heart to bring about this new degree of obedience. Jonah's now positioned to be God's tool. And here's what I want you to see in that. God didn't restore Jonah only to set him aside. God restored Jonah to full use. So I have this mug here uh, that I bought in Gatlinburg, Tennessee on my honeymoon. Uh, it's, uh, it's like one of those stoneware mugs, kind of handmade deal, and uh, it's got the signature on the bottom. I love this mug. And, um, and I used this mug for a long time to drink my coffee out of. If you're a coffee lover, you know how much you love your certain kinds of mugs, and this one was just perfect. It held a lot, but it had a small top because it kept the coffee hot, and you know, lots of details go into picking a mug. Love this mug. But after a while, I, I noticed that it was uh, messed up, that the glaze on the inside of the mug started to deteriorate. And I thought to myself, you know, that, that's probably not a great idea to use that mug because uh, I don't really want to be drinking glaze. And uh, I think that sounds a little poisonous. So, um, so I, I, I kind of set the mug aside. And, and uh, I, I kept it because uh, this reminds me of a very special moment of my life. Th th this reminds me of of our honeymoon and how we were just starting our marriage and it was a wonderful time. Uh, it's really still a very cool mug, so I keep wishing that there was some use for it, but, but as much as I love it, it just sits in the back of my cupboard behind all the other mugs that I actually use. And I think a lot of Christians think of themselves like this mug. Sure, God loves me. Sure, God is willing to keep me around. But I'm, I'm too messed up to be used in his plan. I, I'm just set on the shelf. But here's the difference between you and this mug. I, the owner, don't have the ability to make this mug usable again. I wish I did. I don't know where, where, how to keep the glaze from coming off and poisoning me. But you have a God who has the ability to restore your heart to full use. You have a God who has already covered over the messes that are in your life. And He's using your circumstances and the mission that He set before you to get your attention so that you would repent and that He would use your repentance to multiply repentance to countless others. Messed up messenger, God wants to restore you to full purpose. He doesn't want to just set you on a shelf. And so here's what that means. And this is so, so important for you to understand. Lean into this. Your repentance is not 
just about you. It's about the people that God has called you to reach. Your repentance is your testimony to the saving power of God in your life, to how much you believe God actually restores and saves and transforms a person. It's your platform for ministry. And you may think that your wrong thinking is only affecting you. You may think that you can get around to following God later, to fixing that later, whatever it is. But it's also about the people that God called you to reach. It's affecting the lives of the people around you. Listen, it's affecting your kids. They're watching. It's affecting your spouse. It's affecting the other people in your church when you aren't stepping up in the ways that you need to step up. But the good news is that God is able to call you out from that place. You only need to turn to Him. And maybe you think that you are unusable by God, that God has set you on a shelf in judgment. You're like Jonah sitting in the bottom of a ship thinking the only way out is to be thrown overboard. But in reality, God simply wants you to think differently. He wants you to stop relying on your own ability and your own expectations and your own perfection. And He wants you to just simply rely on His power because it's willing and able to save. Or maybe you think that even though you've turned from God, uh, from your past when you were running in sin, and you've turned from all that, God could never get you back to a place where He would call you to make disciples. You've got too much to learn. You've got too far to go. And we're going to see next week that, that Jonah is not completely transformed in his thinking. He's still got work to do. His repentance is still far from over. And still God used him. He used him as a walking testimony of His grace. And God is not waiting for you to be perfect. He's calling you to be repentance. So what does that mean for us? Well, First of all, don't put off repentance. Get after repenting of sin in your life the moment God shows it to you. Don't be Jonah in chapter 1 who's running against the Lord Be Jonah in chapter 2 and 3. Soften your heart to the call of God in your life. God wants to use you in His power to call others to follow Jesus. And so don't put off repentance. That's the first application. The second is this. Don't hide the marks of your repentance. Don't hide the marks of your repentance. Instead, show people how God delivered you. So it's interesting how Jesus talks about Jonah's ministry in Luke 11 and Matthew 12. Uh, It's not something that we would immediately see in the text of Jonah, but uh, Jesus said it, so we should see it. Okay, Jesus said to his own generation, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Do you see what he says there? He says, Jonah became a sign. In other words, Jonah was himself the sign to the people of Nineveh that the message that he preached was true. If you look at the same 
words from Jesus in Matthew, we see that Jonah was assigned because, specifically, he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. It was the story of his repentance and God's deliverance that was the sign to the people that they should listen to his message. I wonder how they knew he was in a fish. Did he tell them that story? Had he just not taken a bath in a month so he still smelled like the fish? Was there still like fish slime stuck in his hair? We, We don't know how they knew. But Jesus said that it was Jonah's time in the fish that got the Ninevites' attention even as he preached the message. The fish was the mark of Jonah's repentance. He was running far from God, but God had gotten a hold of his heart there. And that validated his preaching. He wasn't just preaching a message about a God who judges. He was a living, walking proof of a God who also has mercy and who saves and transforms. And for us, we must not hide the marks of our repentance. We must be wisely vulnerable about how the Lord has delivered us. Like the whole testimony that says, like, I was always a Christian. I was never that bad. I didn't really deal with sin or really bad sin. Like, that thing is a lie if you give your testimony that way. Like, always going to church is not a testimony. If you... Because your heart was just as dark and just as evil and just as dead as the worst war criminal. It just didn't surface itself in the same way. God maybe just delivered you sooner or by His common grace kept you back. And if you don't believe that, you haven't really come to understand the the depths of grace that God has shown you in the gospel. Every person's testimony, I don't care if you were saved when you were four or when you were 80, every person's testimony is this, I once thought my own way, I once was dead in my sin, I was headed down the path of destruction, but God grabbed hold of my heart, and now I trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, and I'm following His way. It's every single follower of Jesus Christ when you've come to genuine saving faith. Jesus bears the scars of our sin. He bears the wounded hands and feet. He rose from the grave on the third day. We have died with Him. We are raised with Him. And so we don't live perfect lives, but we live repentant lives. And that change of heart gives us the ability to declare the true gospel message that says, you need to turn to Him too. He's going to overthrow you one way or another. Either He's going to judge you and destroy you for your sin and pride that stood against Him, or He's going to get a hold of your heart so that you turn to Him in repentance. That's what happened to me, and that's what needs to happen to everyone else. So learn to be open about how God has changed you and how God is changing you. Has He delivered you from anger? From lust? From perversion? From laziness, from selfishness. Learn to talk about that in appropriate ways. Did you mess up and, and sin in front of your kids when you were disciplining them and, and, you, point, and you were trying to point them to Jesus, but instead you, you pointed them to yourself and to your own ways and to self-righteousness? 
Like, repent to them. Let them see that daddy or mommy doesn't have it all together, but Jesus is their great Savior. Don't hide the marks of your repentance. Don't hide the scars. Don't cover over the smell of fish that lingers in your hair. But most importantly, don't hide the wonder of how God grabbed a hold of your heart and turned you back to Him. Your miraculous repentance exists to multiply miraculous repentance in the people God called you to reach. That's what happened in Jonah's life. He, he walks one-third of the way into the city. And he preaches his message. And, and I, I imagine that he's actually preaching in neighborhoods and, and, and in smaller units. And he's just breaking down the city. He's repeating the same message over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, he gets one-third of the way through the city. And, and, and like there's just this revival that breaks out. Look at verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. See, here's God's heart. God wants to multiply the miracle of repentance to others. Your repentance is not just about you. It has a profound effect on the people watching you. Your spouse is watching how you relate to God. Your kids are watching how you relate to God. Your neighbors are watching how you relate to God. Your fellow church members are watching how you relate to God. Your coworkers are watching how you relate to God. And as you repent and as God delivers you, you are the sign to the people around you of the saving power and the mercy that God has given you to proclaim. Jonah was the sign that his preaching was true. And the repentance of Nineveh was considered, is considered by some the greatest mass conversion in history. In chapter 4, we learned that there was 120,000 people, 120,000 people one day turning their hearts to the Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? From the greatest to the least, old, young, rich, poor, healthy, sick, all of them saying, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. As I read verse 5, I kind of imagine it like a wave, like a, a tsunami of repentance rippling through the city. Jonah gets one third of the way, and it just starts to spread from there. One person tells another person, tells another person, tells another person, until it reaches the very king of Nineveh. The repentance had every mark of genuine revival. I want us to look at three marks of genuine revival here. First, the, the repentance was faith-driven. So in verse 5, it says they believed God. They believed God. It was founded upon the message that God had preached. It wasn't stirred up by some human emotion. It wasn't stirred up by, by fear even. It was stirred up by the belief in God it was stirred up by a healthy fear of the Lord. Repentance that is not rooted in faith is not genuine repentance. The, the message of warning is, is really the same message of warning that we proclaim today, that there is one holy and righteous God who cannot tolerate sin, cannot tolerate our idolatry. And that God has sent His Son to proclaim first judgment 
that judgment is coming upon the world, but that then there is salvation in Him. About 800 years after Jonah, we learn the whole story. That we must turn to Jesus as the Savior and Lord, as the only one who can save. Jonah said at the end of chapter 2, he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jesus is that Lord who can save. And there is salvation in no other name. True revival starts with believing God. It's faith-driven. Secondly, it's humble. True revival is humble. So they call for a fast. That means they deprive themselves of food so that they can seek God more carefully. They're saying there that, that my appetites are not the most important thing. The, the, the emptiness of their belly became a reminder of their emptiness before God due to their sin. And not only did they fast, but they put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was made of goat's hair. And it was used for rugs and for uh, sacks, for th- carrying things. And uh, it was very rough, it was very uncomfortable, and it was used commonly uh, throughout the uh, Middle East to express shame. So you would put on sackcloth to express that, that God, our sin has torn away our honor and has left us in shame and we need mercy. And as the message uh, rushes throughout the city like a tsunami, it, it reaches the king. And he's even more thorough. Verse 6 says uh, that he tore his royal robes to put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. So, so here's the king now. Royal robes off, sackcloth and ashes on. He's removed himself from the status of royalty. He's taken himself off the throne and he's assumed the status of poverty. Look at verse 7. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I think that decree is incredible. The king is like, we are not leaving anyone out here. We have all offended the holy God. Everyone needs to get serious about this. The king now becomes the prophet. Don't don't just fast from food, fast from water too. I I don't just want people fasting in mourning. You're going to get your animals involved in this. Everyone needs to get focused on prayer. Call out mightily to God. Don't just pray little prayers. Call out mightily to God. Does that sound familiar from chapter 1 with the sailors in chapter 2 with Jonah and the fish? Cry out to the Lord in repentance. That's the repeating refrain throughout the book of Jonah. And then he says that incredible phrase at the end. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. I love that. Who knows? Who knows? Like, in other words, we, God doesn't owe us anything because of our repentance. They're trying to manipulate God. They just realize that they are entirely at His mercy. 
Their repentance was genuine because their repentance was humble. But I want you to see this third thing. Their, their repentance was also specific. The king says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. That's what Nineveh was known for, right? Violence. They were a people marked by ruthless violence. And that was the exact thing that they needed to turn from. Just like Jonah had to turn and and God brought him back to that specific place where he disobeyed. So too Nineveh had to repent in specific ways that they had turned against God. These people were serious about their repentance. It was faith-driven. It was humble. It was specific. And consistent with God's character, He relented. He relented. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Remember, God was not manipulated into this. He was not obligated by them to change his mind, but out of his compassion, his heart was stirred and showed, and he showed mercy. Now, if you have a King James Version, uh, you're going to read that God repented. And you might be like, what in the world? Like God repents? That's really not the best translation of that word when, uh, when it's used in relationship to God. The word means that your heart is turned. Your heart is stirred. Your heart is moved with pity and mercy, and compassion. These were people that God had created in His own image. And they were moving toward His purposes for them. And so He had compassion on them. Ultimately, He could do that because He knew that He was sending Jesus later to, to pay for the sins of the, God's people for all time. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's what God wants. He he wants deep-rooted, heart-level, ever-multiplying repentance. He wants it for you. He wants it for the people around you. And ultimately, the people of Nineveh repent at an even deeper level than Jonah does, as we're going to see next week. But as we close our study for today, we must not lose sight of the depth of work that God needs and wants to do in our own hearts. Let me ask you this. Has your repentance ever looked like the repentance of the Ninevites? food depriving, clothes tearing, sackcloth wearing, sin forsaking, repentance. Now you don't stay there forever because we know that God through Jesus Christ wants to have mercy on us, right? God lifts us from the ashes because Jesus went to that place of ashes for us. But have you ever been that broken over your sin that all that you could do was throw yourself upon the mercy of God? Maybe there's some specific thing that God just keeps bringing you back to. We're just coming back to this place. We're coming back to this place. Like God brought back Jonah to the place of his original calling. But you still haven't obeyed. 
Maybe it's some way that you've been running from His calling in your life. Not making disciples where He's called you to make them. Not bearing the responsibility that He's given you. Maybe it's something that you've been turning from for comfort. Turning to for comfort instead of Him. Maybe it's some place that you've found your identity instead of Him. Maybe it's something that you've been refusing to do. Maybe refusing to forgive, refusing to humble yourself, refusing to apologize. And God wants to change that part of you and He wants to use that repentance as a tool of discipleship in someone else's life. Maybe there's some excuse that you've been using to avoid the people that God has called you to reach. And God is saying, we aren't moving on until you rend your heart about that thing. Listen, God is not sitting you on a shelf. And He wants to use your repentance in that area to call others to repentance as well. So I want us to do this this morning. I want us to get on our knees before the Lord together. And I want us to cry out uh, for our own hearts and then for the hearts of the people that He wants us to reach. Okay? So if you're able, of all the earth we humble ourselves before you this morning and we ask that you would reveal by the power of your Holy Spirit what is in our hearts we know that you have a work that you want to do in us and that work is never over And so I pray that you would search us and know us this morning. Just take a moment and, and ask God to search your heart. Use the quiet of this moment to, to connect and relate to God. Say, Lord, this part of my life is needing attention, and you know that it needs attention. And I want to turn to you in that. Have mercy on me.
Now I want us to think about the people that God has called us to reach. I just want us to pray for them for a moment. Who are the people that are in your life, maybe that you see on a regular basis, but you need to go to them? You need to start a conversation with them about the Lord. stay on your knees as long as you would like as I pray. Father, we ask that you would multiply the glory of your name to those around us, that you would use us, Lord. We, we confess, we recognize that we don't deserve to be used by you but that through your mercy you choose to use us. Lord, we we want to be willing vessels for you. We want to go where you call us to go, say what you want us to say. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.